0: Lately, I have been very into the five minute relaxation body scan with Susie Mark Shiflin. Guys, Susie is the most soothing instructor. She incorporates these sound bath sounds into her head to toe relaxation exercise. It's so easy to do. Obviously there are also yoga classes and exercise classes and so many other things you can learn and check out on AllanMoves.com. but I just had to share that one with you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fat Mascara. I'm Jen Sullivan. I'm Jessica Matlin. Okay. Ooh, let's get into it. We have a juicy interview today, don't we? Yes. Tell me everything about Cindy, because I I was not here for Cindy's interview, and when I heard that you were interviewing her, I got very excited. Well, hopefully not too excited. (laughs) So
1: this is a really different conversation for us, and I want to preface it by saying that this is really maybe not for everyone in the room. So, um, and and if you have kids or oh, there's a sexual content in this one. Yeah, this sexual. Yeah, there's a lot of sexual content, and if you're not comfortable with that, or you know, you are maybe in a space where people are there are kids running around, or it's just not the right moment either save it for later or pop in your ear earbuds or whatever that is. So I just want to respect everyone's um what what they've come to expect from Fat Mascara and what this episode is about. But I wanted to talk about body image and beauty and how that relates to porn. And really when I think about where people get a lot of ideas about what's attractive, my first thought isn't porn. But I've realized I've had a bit of a blind spot. And that's come up in some conversations recently. That porn does actually perpetuate a lot of ideas about what is attractive, both for women and men. And you don't have to be a consumer of
0: it, but it's out in the culture. It is. And aesthetics is a big part of it. And aesthetics is what we talk about.
1: Yeah. And I, and I bring this up not to embarrass anyone or, or to be sensational. But I think you know, 300 plus, almost 400 episodes in, for us not to even broach this felt like a bit of a miss. Yeah. So I'm not, and you can probably tell while I interview Cindy, this isn't my wheelhouse. I'm not terribly comfortable talking about this with a wider audience. This isn't like my my, my area of expertise. But I remember doing a story about this at Cosmo about kind of the, I edited the story and uh, we had a great writer behind it, but we did a story about bikini waxing and kind of like the uh, history of it and like why we do it. And this was, you know, six years ago before brands like Fur and Billy were around. A lot of that story was prompted by a conversation with Cindy Gallup, And she had these really amazing things to say about you know, where that comes from. And there were some seeds of the porn industry. So I've thought about her and I thought about having her on. And she had so many great things to say in this, in this conversation about what makes a person attractive and that discrepancy between what we see on the screen in porn and what's actually happening in our lives.
0: I love that. I'm, I'm so excited to hear this. And I also think it's really cool that this might not be your wheelhouse, but that that's what this podcast is about, discovery. Like you're learning along with our listeners and, and I'm learning too. So pornography and erotic videos, it's like people don't really, some people talk about it a lot, but I think the majority of the, of the uh, population just kind of knows it's there and has been influenced by it, but doesn't talk about it. Right. And
1: she says, and I'm going to get to who Cindy Gallup is in a minute. I think that would have been helpful. Oh yeah. yeah, We should do that. Let's do the um, intro. (laughs) But but as you said, Jen, like this idea of like not talking about it, she says really off the bat is what has created Mm -hmm. a lot of these very interesting, complicated ideas that something that, that have been, um, I'm not a huge fan of this word, but like pro- problematic have been you know yep. have caused some issues. And also as 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 I'm getting older and seeing you know younger people kind of come up, and especially as the as the mother of a daughter, I'm very concerned about what the way young women are evaluating their bodies and and young men and what those experiences are going to be. And the way, like. way so they're
0: anyway portrayed in different kinds of pornography and erotic videos. So yeah. tell us
1: who is Cindy. So let's talk about Cindy. So Cindy Gallup has over 30 years in brand building marketing and advertising. She is a, a real boss in every sense of the word. She People come to her, brands come to her for very frank, radical perspectives on their businesses and brands. And which is why I love this quote. Cindy has described herself as the Michael Bay of business, quote, I like to blow shit up. Business Insider has named her one of the 15 most important marketing strategy thinkers today, alongside Malcolm Gladwell and Seth Godin. And she is raising the world's first and only sex tech fund, All The Sky Holdings. She's also the founder of Make Love Not Porn, which we'll talk about on the in the interview, which is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference, which is a social sex tech platform designed to promote good sexual behavior and good sexual values. And she launched this at the TED conference in 2009, and for which she had raised $2 million to build out MakeLoveNotPorn.tv porn.tv as the social sex revolution. So that's Cindy. I'm so happy to have her on the show. So grateful. Let's get to it. Okay, Cindy, I am so happy that you're here. You are just, I mean, you you cover so many topics and you have, you know, such an incredible career, but A part of your career that I'm fascinated by was really uh, spurred by your TED Talk. And we're going to link to it on our website and through our Instagram. But you have an incredible TED Talk called Make Love, Not Porn. And you speak very frankly about how hardcore porn in particular has distorted men and really women's understanding about what modern sexuality looks like but on our show in particular cuz we could we could unpack this as they say for you know days and days but i really wanted to talk about on our show what those beauty standards might look like in porn and how they've affected you know, women today, and, and even like, we can talk about men too, but what do you think those beauty standards look like in mainstream porn?
2: So um, I'm just going to make a couple of responses to that, if you don't mind, but because first of all, um, I want to be very clear about something that I've been saying for the past 12 years, ever since my TED talk in 2009, which is the issue isn't porn. The issue is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. Mm. because if we did people would be able to bring a real world mindset to the viewing of what is you know produced performative entertainment and so um i just want to emphasize and and, and this is something that i think is going to be very apparent in our conversation that if we were only able to be more open and honest about sex Sexuality and sexual attractiveness in the Mm. world at large, porn will not have the disproportionate influence it has in the absence of that open, healthy dialogue. Um, The the second thing I want to highlight before I I get on to answering your question directly is that I must admit to getting somewhat frustrated when people use the word porn like it's all one big homogenous mass, because that's like using the word literature to say it's all the same thing <laughs> there are just as many genres subgenres, you know um, types divisions within porn as there are within literature and, and I say that because I mean you quite rightly have asked the question about mainstream porn um, but even so there are many genres of porn where Conventional aspirational body types and looks are not the be all and the end all. Uh, So, so I just want to kind of frame our conversation for our audience um, in that context.
1: I did think about that when I was thinking, you know, I thought long and hard about these questions, and I was thinking, you know, well, we know that there's, you know, amateur porn and there's, you know, there's porn for every, you know, color of the rainbow and type and preference. So, when I say the porn aesthetic, that's not a really fair descriptor but I think for the purpose of this conversation um, I think it is fair to say that porn has influenced some beauty standard would you agree or, or no
2: I mean, uh, um, yeah but I think that's um, I think that's absolutely true but that is true for a reason that is broader than porn and what I mean by that? You know, because of my work with Make Love Not Porn, I regularly get called up by journalists who want to interview me about porn and ask me questions like, so, Cindy, do you feel that porn objectifies women? And my response is, I think that any industry that is male-led and male-dominated inevitably produces output product that is objectifying and objectionable and offensive to women. And then I will point them to the commercial advertising (laughs) breaks in the Super Bowl. Because (laughs) my industry, advertising, is male-dominated, male-led, as is porn. And it's especially ironic in the advertising context because we women are the primary purchasers of everything, the primary influencers of purchase, yet we are paid back to ourselves in advertising all the time through the male gaze. Mm. exactly the same thing in porn and so i think it's very important to just be very clear that when we talk about mainstream porn and and for the purposes of this conversation as you say we are talking about what you are most likely to encounter on the tube sites you know um the most obviously mass produced that is porn that is shot through the male lens yes um, and, um, and that is true of every other industry sector in popular culture. Movies, television, you know, Netflix, journalism, publishing. So so, so that, um, this is not, it's not unique to porn. There is a very particular set of beauty standards and body types being presented as what is supposedly the most sexually attractive and desirable. So point number one we are looking at this through the male lens point number two is that is absolutely not true and and what i mean by that is um so a couple of years ago um the uk series love island which obviously by now has been syndicated all over and is right. you know a very addictive show but um they announced their new season lineup cast wise And they were immediately castigated for the lack of diversity in the cast, both in terms of lack of ethnic diversity and lack of body diversity. And the producer was being interviewed about this, and he very rashly said, well, well, we we have to cast people that people find attractive. The entire internet came down his head, including me. And (laughs) my tweet to him, in fact, was reproduced by the Daily Mail in a piece about this. Uh, What I said to him in, in response was I said walk through any park in any big city in the summertime and look at the couples sitting on the grass, cuddling, holding hands, kissing, and you will see what people really find attractive and sexually desirable in the real world. And so the very ironic thing about the question you're asking is that it doesn't matter what is presented to us as being attractive and aspirational in mainstream porn, the fact of the matter is that in the real world, people are attracted to what they are attracted to that has nothing to do with aspirational looks and body type.
1: So is it just a matter of these producers, these porn producers being aged out? Like, are we waiting for them to get pushed, you know, out of their jobs at some point? Like, what, where, why does this disconnect... Exist.
2: Sure. So, um, so first of all, and you know, I realize that our audience is likely to be unaware of this. The porn industry is dominated by a massive monopoly, which would never be allowed to exist in any other industry. Um, a company called MindGeek owns everything. You know, MindGeek owns Pornhub, UPorn. You know, Red Tube, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, what, what you have is one company and one massive conglomerate behind almost all of the mainstream um, porn sites. And that is a stranglehold that is killing independent, individual creative vision and innovation and disruption. So I have a number of friends who are brilliant female queer pornographers who are creating uniquely innovative and creative porn that features all types of sexualities, all types of looks and body types, but but they they find it impossible to get the traffic numbers, revenue they Mm -hmm. deserve because of the stranglehold that MindGeek has on on, on the porn industry. Uh, And by the way, because of the amount of pirating that goes on of their content as well. Um, So that's the issue. I can promise you that there are so many brilliant pornographers out there who who absolutely want to represent a completely different vision of what is hot and arousing and desirable and turns us on that, um, that don't get their fair share of the
1: market. And it's real. It's, it's not like it's something that they've just kind of created or taken a, a bet on. It's what people, what you're saying, are attracted to, but it's they're fighting against these kind of old-fashioned, old boys club ideas.
2: Well, uh, well um, to, um, I would say that, um, because this is, this is where I should draw a distinction between, you know, what has been created in the porn industry and what I am doing with Make Love Not Porn.
1: So why don't you t- tell us a little bit about Make Love Not Porn?
2: So Make Love Not Porn is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And so we are um, a counterpoint and a complement to porn. Porn is performative and produced entertainment. We are a unique window onto the funny, messy, awkward, comical, ridiculous ways we all have sex in the real world. We're kind of what Facebook would be if Facebook allowed you to socially, sexually self-express. We are pioneering the category of social sex. And so if porn is the Hollywood blockbuster movie, we are the real world documentary. (laughs) And so in our real world sex videos at Make Love Not Porn, you see what people find really attractive and sexually desirable in the real world. And that is enormously reassuring. Because, you know, our social sex videos celebrate real-world bodies, real-world hair, real-world penis size, real-world breast size. And so, you know, our members write to us and say, you made me feel better about my own body. You know, one man wrote and said, you know, my girlfriend and I now feel more able to be open and central with each other because you made each of us feel better about our own bodies. And so... Again, everything we're talking about in porn is true of every other area of popular culture. We are surrounded by messages that tell us that to be hot and desirable, you've got to be this skinny, have six-pack abs, look like this. And in the real world, you are hot as hell because you're you. It's you that's special. And that makes your body and everything about it special and desirable because it's yours.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm concerned, you know, just talking to doctors that, you know, we constantly talk to on the show and just in, in my job as, you know, a beauty director, I'm hearing about labiaplasty, something that I, you know, would hear just, you know, in just a little bit, you know, about 10 years ago. In the past five years, there's been an enormous uptick in labiaplasty, but like with younger and younger women, even teenagers. And we know that teenagers, especially teenage boys, are seeing porn at, you know, ages that like, I mean, single digit ages. And then once they see girls for the first time in their lives, they have a tremendous, there's a huge discrepancy of what they've seen in porn and what they see in real life. So have you, have you found anything about that? Are you seeing anything when it comes to young people?
2: Well, first of all, I am my own research lab. So mm-hmm. as you know, um, at Jess, I started Make Love Not Porn out of my personal experience dating younger men.
1: Yes, <laughs> which you've been very vocal about, which I love. Yeah, yeah. yeah So, yeah. So what do they tell you?
2: Uh, yeah, and I continue to date younger men um, and I'm very open about the fact that I date them casually and recreationally. And so, you know, Separate to our observations building Make Love Not Porn, I see for myself exactly how all this plays out in the real world all the time. And so it's interesting because I'm 61, so I am old enough to recall, obviously, all of my own sexual experiences way back in the day before porn was ubiquitously available on the internet. And so something that that, that is particularly poignant to me at my age is that I remember back in the day when the men I slept with were absolutely riveted by my body generally, but especially by my vulva and my vagina, because I didn't get to see any of them except in the pages of Penthouse or Playboy or, you know, um, VHS porn or, you know, (laughs) dodgy Soho movie theater.
1: Yeah. And so they were just happy to be there.
2: Well, well, A, they were happy to be there, but B, they were riveted. They were down there for hours, hearing, <laughs> looking at, touching, <laughs> worshiping, and and, uh, and and just you know, am I am I, By the way, I'm very slept about the younger men that I date. No matter how casual they ship, I've only one fundamental criteria: they have to be a very nice person. I have fantastic radar for very nice people. I date utterly lovely younger men but and and they think my body is wonderful but they are not riveted by my vulva in the same way that men used to be because they've seen thousands of them
1: mm-hmm. by the
2: time even you know they actually get into bed with a real girl you know a real world girl or a real world woman
1: i'd love to talk a little bit more about the you know the the beauty standards and and sure. this and, and you know, and I understand for all intents and purposes, we're saying mainstream form because I understand you can thin slice it, and there's so many different types. There, there's been a real uptick in labiaplasties, and you know, the requests are coming from younger and younger women, which I find actually quite heartbreaking. And it's because their their peers have been conditioned from what, like age ten, twelve, to be seeing like these like little apricot looking you know <laughs> vaginas, and I think that that is what. You know every vagina looks like you know. There's been some education about that. That's not normal. There's an incredible for listeners. Uh, d- definitely check this out. There's a great Instagram called the Vulva Gallery. And then hopefully, you know, women are talking amongst. If if this is a concern for you, you know, you talk amongst your friends and you know that that's not normal to to think that every vagina looks the same. But I've talking to friends. I I've heard these heartbreaking tales of people. Who think they need something done, and they're like thirty two. When it used to be, people would go in for this, and they'd had like three kids, and they're like, "Okay, it's hanging out of my underwear." I mean, what are your thoughts on this?
2: There are a couple of reasons for what you're talking about, um, Jess. The first is that I go back to my point about the issue isn't porn; the issue is that we don't talk about sex openly and honestly in the real world, and. I strapped it out from talk to be we don't behave openly and honestly around sex in the real world and what I mean by that Mm. is as a society we've imbued sex with so much guilt shame and embarrassment that women don't walk around locker rooms in the nude okay we don't hang out with each other naked In the way, by the way, that, you know, I've been to, you know, Swedish sort of bathing houses where tons of naked women of all ages are sunbathing on the deck, swimming in the sea, and where you get to see the full glorious spectrum of every woman's body and every woman's genitals. We mm-hmm. we don't have that openness that allows us to see that we come in all shapes and sizes and colors and types and whatever, and it's fabulous. So as long as prudishness informs every aspect of how we operate, including the appalling censorship that operates on social media, where things like racism and violence can run riot, but yeah. open healthy attitudes towards sex and sexuality and the naked body can't. We don't have enough openness around all of this that, that just reassures us all about how wonderful real world bodies are in all of their infinite variety. So that's that's reason number one.
1: Yeah. Just, is this America or is this, you think this is America and, I mean, obviously I know you're, you're English. So is this, would you say this is England too? um it, it, it's the entire
2: world you know um, okay um, i bring a global perspective make love at porn is a global platform our viewpoint yeah. is global what i'm talking about is an issue globally everywhere okay. in the world the second thing to be aware of because um this is something i've had to spend the past 12 years very conscious of because i battle all of this myself but not enough people realize a lot of the things that people think are inherent in porn are driven by business issues and actually would be very different if we had business solutions. What I mean by that is there is a reason that the porn industry is centered on the San Fernando Valley, and that is because California is the state which, while not great legislation-wise, has the most adult content production-friendly laws operating in the U.S., that is why the porn industry has headquartered itself there the interesting thing about that is that that has given rise to a very particular kind of aesthetic and that aesthetic is not unique to porn because it's also the aesthetic of you know again why the entertainment industry is headquartered Mm -hmm. in california and la which Mm -hmm. is you know to, um again um to, you know regulations and legislations and you know taxing whatever that has fostered an entertainment headquarters that equally buys into unrealistic standards of what through the male lens is meant to be the ultimate aspirational form of beauty and the ultimate astral, aspirational body types um and so again no coincidence that it's it's blonde it's blue-eyed yeah. it's caucasian you know it's curvy it's big tits it's you know, and I think a really interesting question to ask ourselves is what would the aspirational beauty types and body types be like in porn if the headquarters of porn was New York City, because New York State decided to welcome in the adult industry and make it really easy for them to produce um, porn here? I, th- I think we would see much more variety in terms of aesthetic type and embracing of diversity in the way that New York City does generally.
1: Okay, so you think it really is very much about the, the geographic location?
2: I think it's very interesting to consider um, the geographic location in the absolute nexus of um, entertainment, popular culture-driven standards of beauty and body and therefore a colossal plastic surgery business, cosmetic surgery business that is also located there um, and the entire beauty business that is focused on perpetuating those standardized types.
0: Find yourself together when you join Aloe Moves. Join the community on Allomoves.com today and use code FATMASCARA20 for an exclusive 30-day free trial plus 20% off an annual membership. That's Allomoves.com code MASCARA20 for a 30-day free trial plus 20% off an annual membership. Again, that's allomoves.com and the code is MASCARA20. mascara for 25% off.
1: So those body standards, I mean, again, we're talking about mainstream porn just for, you know, anybody who's, just as a reminder, mainstream, mainstream. It's this very hyper feminine, you know... Kind of like like va-va-voom, you know, exaggerated, you know, breasts, exaggerated butt, hips. It's almost like, you know, it's cartoonish at times in mainstream porn. I have to say, I think it's trickled out into... You know, po- popular culture, but also just what kind of like the girl on the street wants to look like. Breast implants are popular. People want like a curvier butt. It does have a trickle down effect. Do you think that this is just a trend and is an aesthetic that's going to uh, sort of dissolve in time?
2: Um, do, do you know, um, Jess? Um, I think it's business driven, and I say that because you know I I bring. You know, I have a background of 35 years working in brand building, marketing, and advertising. I bring a business perspective to all of this. And what I see is what we see in many industry sectors, which is the business syndrome I call collaborative competition, which is where everybody in a sector competes with everybody else in the sector by doing exactly the same thing everybody else in the sector is doing. And they do that because they believe that's what people want oh you know so they're all featuring this we've got to feature that too that must Mm -hmm. be what the consumer wants we've got to do that too and so you get this sort of vicious circle where everybody is doing something that that people on the outside think is driven by consumer want and desire but isn't it's simply the business syndrome of you know got to do what the competition's doing
1: Got it, got it. What about let's talk about bikini waxing. Now that's something that I've noticed and you know, bikini waxing, sugaring, electrolysis not as hot anymore, but basically hair removal. That's something, you know, when when I met you I was at Cosmo. This was a long time ago and oh. everyone was doing bikini waxing. Now, and I remember we quoted you, you were talking about how bikini waxing and, and hair removal down there was absolutely linked to porn. Now, it's interesting. It's, it's you know, some time has passed. Gen Z has really come up. There's been so much more um, acceptance of body hair, whether it's under the arms, a bikini area. It really does. I feel there's a shift. But I don't think hair removal has really gone away. And in porn, and it certainly has it. What are your thoughts on that? Sure, and I want to know the business and i want I want to know your I want to know your lived experience your and your business perspective here because I don't see like razors going out the window anytime soon.
2: no, um, t- uh, no I think sadly you're 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 absolutely right, but for possibly um somewhat different reasons so in the first instance, myself, I absolutely, having been au naturel for much of my life, um, a number of years ago, I decided to, you know, um, do the Brazilian bikini wax thing. And, you know, it was novel and it was interesting. And and I, and my boyfriend at the time was utterly delighted. Um, and, and and so I did that for many years, um, because actually once you've started, you've got to keep going pretty much, you know. When that stubble starts yeah. growing back, yeah. you know. Um, so, so the interesting thing about that was that, a lot of the younger men that I dated um, had no comment to make at all because it was expected. Where there was comment was I encountered a number of um, young men who actually really appreciated hair on a woman and were rather sorry not to find it. Um, I then eventually went, "Oh my god, this is like way too much maintenance and expense," and I just uh-huh. stopped waxing again a number of years ago now. And so I, I no longer wax and. Honestly, interestingly for me, um, I've encountered again either no comment or "ooh, I like that." You know, so okay. um, so I would just say again that what people appreciate in the real world in your personal life, you may be pleasantly surprised by. Um, but <laughs> but I would say I mean I think it's it's absolutely true that that porn has role modelled this, but for many women, but also Jess, what is depressingly equally behind this is again um, an appalling um, entire industry predicated on making us feel as women that we are dirty and unhygienic and smelly down there and making Mm. us desperate to clean ourselves up in whatever way, be it vaginal deodorants or be it shaving and waxing because, ooh, you're not clean and tidy and hygienic if you don't do that. and so and so again it's the perpetuation of shame and embarrassment around perfectly natural um, body hair which by the way has you know very key biological functions are about trapping sweat and keeping you clean in in itself that syndrome of shame in our own bodies also lies behind
1: that do you think that The younger generation, specifically Gen Z, is going to move the needle in that direction because I think a lot of these younger brands and even just the imagery coming out of their work, it it does feel completely different than to what I grew up with.
2: I sincerely hope so. I mean, I love what brands like Billy... Are doing mm-hmm. um, with their advertising you know I yeah. love the fact that they sell you know razors um, by basically celebrating hair and, and 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 the message is you know you can use our razors in whatever way you choose but it's entirely yeah. up to you uh, um, I really hope that we are seeing things start to move in a different direction because the more we celebrate the way we all come you know the way our bodies are naturally the better we will all feel about them
1: and what about age? I'm going from Gen Z to let's bump it up a little bit. Talking about age and porn and, and, and mainstream porn, do you think that's going to change? Because the the girls are quite young. And I think we know in, in the beauty industry, we really don't see... in the beauty industry, we're starting to see women who are in their, you know, 40 plus um, and making it sound like that is like ancient. But in the beauty industry, it's been so much about chasing the millennial dollar, chasing the Gen Z dollar. But now I think brands are finally waking up to the fact that, you know, women actually have money, the grown women actually have money, and they're starting to speak to them again. How do you feel about the porn industry?
2: So uh, again, again, we have to be very segmented here. Um, so in what we are for the purpose of this conversation calling mainstream porn. There's this ludicrous yes, where, yeah. where, 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 you know, the female porn stars are either teens or MILFs. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and by the way, you, you can see on social media, it's the, so porn, binary. Stars themselves, the, the yeah. porn stars themselves laughing about this, because basically, you know, you can be a 20-something porn star, and one day you're acting teen, and the other day you are being called MILF. Okay, um, and um, and and those seem to be the only two classifications. Um, again, this is the industry self-perpetuating what it thinks people find hot, not allowing for the fact that there's a vast territory in between that is enormously desirable. But What I will say is that the one good thing about, uh, um, uh, and so beyond mainstream porn, there are vast genres of porn that are specifically for um, those, and again, we're talking about male lens here, so men who get turned on by older women, everything from older women to much older women. And a couple of things about that. The first is that, I mean, in a way, I applaud the rise of MILF porn, because that starts to equalize this ludicrous unfairness in our society, where, Mm. you know, older man dates younger woman, nobody bats an eyelid – but yeah. like me, older woman dates younger men, whoa, much less socially acceptable. So, so yeah. on the one hand, you know, the rise of the MILF acknowledges that younger men find older women, uh, by the way, as hot and desirable as they always have since the dawn time. But but on the other hand, and, you know, there are genres out there that are for people who are turned on by 6 year old women, 70-year-old women, 8 year old women, 9 year old women, I'm not kidding. But the thing about that is
1: that it fetishizes age. And that's not That's good. what I'm thinking. There's, it's still, there's still a taboo around it, which I don't like.
2: Many things in porn are about arousal precisely because of the forbidden taboo nature of whatever the fantasy mm-hmm. is of, that's being played out. But, um, but basically, um, you know, the genres of porn that fetishize age are objectifying. You know, they're not celebrating They're fetishizing, they're objectifying. And so, and and again, this is the interesting thing, Jess, about about a lot of, again, mainstream porn. The, The issue is not so much what you are seeing in porn, but the way it's being framed, because that matters. And the context it's being given, which is that this is something only to be fetishized, objectified, nobody could possibly really want to, you know, um, yeah, to, um, yeah. That that is very unfortunate. That does not acknowledge the fact that, you know, I say to people, everything you see in porn, somebody somewhere loves doing, actually millions of somebody's. And so why not celebrate it versus fetishizing it?
1: Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I want to talk, I want to, you know, like, put your um, your advertising experience in in the forefront here because I was thinking about the beauty industry and how the beauty industry has really borrowed so much from the world of porn in terms of marketing imagery, certainly for the campaign imagery, even in language. I was thinking about um, NARS. The whole orgasm franchise has been like basically, you know, at the center of the brand for so many years. Too Faced, Better Than Sex, Smashbox, OGLO. What do you think about that?
2: What I would say to that is that the beauty industry has not gone far enough. And I'll explain what I mean. I love NARS's Orgasm Blush. I mean, I love the concept. I love it, by the way I use it. Um, I think it's fantastic. It's Mm -hmm. a great color. um, And it absolutely... works on every skin tone. Yes, yeah, exactly. So so, so it delivers, you know, it does what it says on the can. And I would have liked to have seen NARS take that even further because... So um, a number of years ago, I was in Brazil on business and a beauty company reached out to me. And I'm afraid because it was years ago, I can't remember um, the name of the company. They reached out because of my work with Make Love Not Porn and, and we met up and they said that they were very interested in developing a line of cosmetics and beauty products specifically for people to, for women to use and wear for sex, pre-sex, during sex, post-sex, and their their thinking was, you know, sex is just in itself a massive beautifier. It totally is. <laughs> you know, you get that inner glow. You know, you feel great, you, and mm-hmm. um, and. And and, and they said, we we want to create a line of products where, you know, this might be, you know, the cosmetics you use when you are planning to have a wonderful night with somebody. They are designed to be natural, but to highlight all the things you want to highlight in an openly sexual context, being very clear that this is the use occasion for which these are designed. And I thought that was a really interesting idea because, you know, um, when you reference what beauty um, brands are, Are using as language. That's my point. They don't take it far enough. Don't just call it something clever and sexy and woohoo, you know, nudge nudge, wink wink. We're being naughty. (laughs) Uh, Take it it all the way through too. We have sex. Sex makes us look great. Absolutely, draw on that analogy. Um, Sell your beauty products, going, you know, these are designed to enhance your natural glow during sex. I would totally buy those products. You know, really, really
1: embrace it. Don't just use it for smart packaging and, and naming. It's definitely a bold move. I could see some executives like loosening their ties or just, you know, needing some water at that meeting. <laughs> well, uh, well,
2: in the uh, in the highly competitive beauty industry, this is completely
1: unleveraged territory. It's completely unleveraged. Okay. I'll give you that. Oh. Yeah, yep. yeah,
2: yeah. Yep. That is wide open. Yeah, because everything's suggestive. Brand.
1: Yeah, everything's just at the edge of the pool. Yeah, I get it, I get it. And then, really quickly about the men, (laughs) do you think that they are suffering from? um, You know, I'm I'm thinking about this, and I was doing as I was doing some research. It's very clear, and it's it's you know, it's in. There's proof that women don't feel so great about themselves after watching porn or knowing that there's a there was a really great statistic about how. when a woman knows that her, you know, partner watches porn, um, she may not feel she she will she will see herself through her partner's gaze while they're having sex, and she will, you know, be a more critical of her body. So thinking about men and wondering how they feel about their bodies and their self image in relation to watching mainstream porn, because as you say, you know, it's it can be very unrealistic. Well,
2: here's the really sad thing where men are concerned. Um, First of all, mainstream porn teaches men that sex is entirely dick-centric. It's all about how big it is, how hard it is, how long you keep it up. That drives massive Mm. insecurity when, as we all know, male porn stars are cast for the size of their genitals and their ability to perform, but also everything's cut, edited together, etc. But here's the much broader sad thing about that. Because if we were more open and honest about sex in the real world, this would not be the case. But what that means is that men don't realize how wonderful the rest of their bodies are and how much we appreciate them. And again, you know, I have real world experience of responses to this because I'm 61. I don't give a damn what anybody thinks about Me and my body, I think I'm bloody amazing. And and by the way, the younger men I date absolutely think, you know, I'm the hottest thing out as well. And so, what that means is I'm confident and secure enough in bed to focus on making them feel great about themselves. And so, I tell the younger men I sleep with how beautiful they are. And I use that word deliberately because we very rarely use the word beautiful of men. Yeah. And I tell them, and I show them how much I appreciate every inch of their bodies. I have a whole thing about forearms, you know. Show me a nicely muscled, gently furred with hair forearm, and I am putting your hands. <laughs> and, 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 and and so I make a point of praising the men I sleep with. I make a point of praising their forearms because quite often nobody ever has, you know. Yeah. And and so men don't get appreciated. Enough for all of the other wonderful ways in which they are gorgeous and touchable and beautiful and sexy. You know, I I remember, um, again, many years ago, I was dating this lovely young man who was on the wrestling team at at his university, had a body like a Greek god. Mm -hmm. He was 21 at the time. And I remember him sitting, you know, on the side of my bed um, the next morning saying very shyly, you make me feel so sexy. And that was just adorable. And by the way, he was gorgeous. He was good looking. He had this amazing body. But you know, I was appreciating all of him, and that, and obviously in a way that. Nobody had quite in the same way yeah. before. Uh, yeah. Because you know, I remember myself in my twenties, I was rampant insecure, you know, as we all are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wish that there were more demonstrations, and obviously on, on make love not porn there are, but I wish there were more demonstrations in the real world of just how for men of how enormously desirable every single thing about them is, and how yeah. you know, I go back to my point about we love your body because it's yours. And, and when it's you, that makes everything about your body, you know, if you're carrying a bit of extra weight, I personally like men with a bit of extra weight. You know, I like something to sink my teeth into, you know, to, um, <laughs> just, you know, to, um, I, I wish men understood how much we appreciate every part of them in a way that popular culture and porn does not reflect.
1: I agree with you 1000%. And before I let you go, I think that you know the advice that you gave about how to appreciate men better is, is beautiful. Not to repeat that word, but that is really beautiful and, and rarely said. But for people listening who maybe don't feel so in their skin the way you do, is there anything it sounds like you. it took you some time to get to where you are? How do you think people can start to feel a little bit more, you know, kind of sort of sexy in their skin?
2: No, absolutely. I mean, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you the answer you know, you'll know, you probably expect because, honestly, go to makelovenotporn.tv and mm-hmm. watch our real-world sex videos because there you will see how enormously hot and desirable and arousing we find everybody's body type in the real world. And, uh, and the reason why I say you need to see it at Make Love Not Porn is because... You know, you can talk body positivity all you like. You can preach self-love till you're Mm -hmm. blue in the face. You can read books about it. At the end of the day, nothing makes us feel great about our own bodies like seeing people who are no one's idea of aspirational body types getting turned on by each other desiring each other having an amazing time in bed that is where you understand that we are all hugely sexually desirable no matter how much our body shape the the way we look does not appear to conform to what we see in hollywood and tv and and porn
1: thank you cindy
2: It's been an absolute pleasure. And and I'm thrilled that we got to drill into this topic. I I would love to see much more examination of all of the nuance of this, um, like the discussion we've just had.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: We hope you enjoyed the show. It's your reviews and feedback that help us make the podcast even better. Head over to iTunes to rate and review us or email your thoughts to info at fatmascara.com.
1: We also want to answer your beauty questions and hear what products you love. To share a Razor One product review you or to ask a beauty question,
0: email us at info at FatMascara. If you send it as a voice memo file, we can even share your voice on the podcast. You can also do that by leaving us a voice message. Our phone number in the United States is 646-481-8182. Thanks so much for listening. or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mascara for 25% off.